following is a conversation with Mark Normand, a New York comedian who has a way with words that is often both dark and hilarious. Let that be a warning, dear friends, to proceed with caution and to wear protection. You may, in fact, need it. He has a special on his YouTube called Out to Lunch and a new special on Netflix as part of the stand-up season three series I recommend you watch. And now a quick two-second mention of his sponsor. Check them out in the description. It's the best way to support this podcast. First is Calm, a meditation app. Second is Inside Tracker, a service I use to track my biological data. Third is Onnit, a nutrition supplement and fitness company. Fourth is Grammarly, a service I use to check spelling, grammar, and readability. And fifth is Roca, my favorite sunglasses and prescription glasses. So the choice is health, eloquence, or style. Choose wisely, my friends. And now onto the full ad reads. As always, no ads in the middle. I try to make these interesting, but if you skip them, please still check out the sponsors. I enjoy their stuff. Maybe you will too. This show is brought to you by Calm, a meditation and mental wellness app. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds. You may hear in my voice a bit of a melancholy tone. I've been going through some rough times. That's how life is. There's ups and downs. Sometimes it's just even throughout the day, hour to hour, minute to minute, and you just gotta ride it. Sometimes during a bit of the low times, you have to do an ad read like I'm doing now, and it's all okay. It's all great. And I think guided meditation, meditation in general, is a great way to reflect on that up and down of life, to breathe, to find yourself, to find your breath, to find your mind, in the time of trouble, in the time of chaos, in the time of sadness, in the time of uh, ecstatic bliss, to find a calmness. Anyway, if you go to calm.com slash Lex, you get a limited time offer 40% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of programming. Once again, that's calm.com slash Lex. Calm, like C-A-L-M dot com slash Lex. This show is also brought to you by Inside Tracker, a service I use to track biological data. They have a bunch of plans, most of which include a blood test that give you a lot of information that you can then make decisions based on. They have algorithms that analyze your blood data, DNA data, and fitness tracker data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside you and offer you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. Andrew Huberman, talks a lot about it, he uses it, he recommends it, David Sinclair as well. They actually had a conversation together recently on the Huberman Lab podcast that you should definitely listen to. Anyway, in terms of Inside Tracker, I love this idea, it feels like the future. Why the heck would you be making decisions for your lifestyle, for your health, based on kind of generic population data? It should be based on your unique longitudinal data measured over time. It's obvious and, uh, it's sad that it's not done widespread, and it's obvious to me that it's going to be done in the future. So, Inside Tracker is the right tool to sort of step into the future with. For a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store if you go to insidetracker.com/lex. That's insidetracker.com/lex. This episode is brought to you by Onnit, nutrition supplement and fitness company. They make Alpha Brain, which is a nootropic 
that helps support memory, mental speed, and focus. I use it as a boost when thinking through a difficult problem, when uh, stepping into a deep work session, and I know it's going to be an especially, whether it's uh, design, whether it's programming, whether it's thinking through a difficult problem, if I know it's going to be a rough one. And by rough, I mean there's a lot of dead ends. We have to go down a particular trajectory and then there's going to be a dead end, you have to backtrack, That that's just such a frustrating process. So to maintain focus, to maintain clarity of thinking and a patience, it's, uh, it just helps me to take an alpha brain in those cases. I don't rely on it. I take it when I need that extra super boost. Clears the mind, helps maintain focus. Anyway, go to lexfriedman.com slash onit to get up to 10% off alpha brain. That's lexfriedman.com slash onit. This show is brought to you by Grammarly, a writing assistant tool that checks spelling, grammar, sentence structure, and readability. Grammarly Premium, the version you pay for, and the one they really hope you sign up for, offers a bunch of extra features. My favorite is the clarity check, which helps detect rambling, overcomplicated chaos that many of us can descend to. Whenever I mention this part, I usually love to bring up James Joyce, one of the greatest writers of the 20th century, the author of Ulysses and Finnegan's Wake, both books that I've read and understood none of. <laughs> In contrast, the short stories by James Joyce, I think it's called The Dead. So The Dead is the final short story in in the book of short stories that's called The Dead. Those are understandable and those are brilliant. One of my favorite short stories ever is, is, is The Dead. <sighs> I should probably talk about it at some point. It has love, it has jealousy. It is that melancholy feeling when you ponder the passing of all the millions lives around you, plus nature. Something about snow and pausing to reflect on life in a melancholy way. Robert Frost with the uh, stopping in the woods on a snowy evening, is that the right name? Miles to go before I sleep, miles to go before I sleep. I remember spending quite a long time interpreting that poem. It's a powerful one. Anyway, Grammarly is available on basically any platform and major sites and apps. Do more then just spell check, get your point across more effectively, like Robert Frost versus James Joyce with Grammarly Premium. Get 20% off Grammarly Premium by signing up at grammarly.com slash lex. That's 20% off at grammarly.com slash lex. This show is also brought to you by Roka, the makers of glasses and sunglasses that I love wearing for their design, feel, and innovation on material, optics, and grips but most importantly is that they're super sexy. Function is one thing, but sex appeal is another. Roka was started by two all-American swimmers from Stanford and was born out of an obsession with performance. Two words I love, obsession and performance. I actually met one of uh, said swimmers, Rob. They have an amazing facility here in Austin. He's an incredible human being, just... Uh, I don't know, one of those people that just brings a smile to your face. So much energy. Also, is just a fun person to work out with. <laughs> he can just uh, really push you to your limit. Anyway, 
The uh, the sunglasses are designed to be active in. They're extremely lightweight. The grip is comfortable but strong, and the style is classy. So it holds up in all conditions. When I'm wearing a suit or wearing uh, running gear in extreme heat or in the uh, cold, I guess you can say, but it's not really a winter compared to Boston winter, but holds up in all conditions. Check them out for both prescription glasses and sunglasses at roca.com and enter code LEX to save 20% off on your first order. That's roca.com and enter code LEX. This is the Lex Friedman Podcast, and here is my conversation with Mark Normand. I asked him, Dylan, about Bukowski first, so let me continue on that tradition and ask you about something that Charles Bukowski said about love. Do Wait, you know? are we rolling? Yes. This... Oh, geez, no hello, no nothing. Nope. I thought I was robotic. <laughs> Bukowski said, love is a fog that burns away with the first daylight of reality. So, uh, Mark Norman, let me first ask you about love. Uh, what are your thoughts about love? You talk about your relationships quite a bit. Do you think love can last? I do, but I think it's work. Everybody wants love to be this prepackaged, perfect, euphoric thing, but it you gotta it's like a, a good body, you know? We're all born with a good body, but you gotta keep it in shape. And it's the same with a with a loving relationship. I think you uh Nobody wants to do the work. That's the problem. <laughs> you talked about I think you told a story about being unfaithful to a previous girlfriend or something like that. I think the story goes that you were like drifting apart. Who are you talking to? Bert Kreischer maybe or something, uh, something like that? Yeah, we, Drift- we were high school sweethearts, dated for like 12 years and then. So that wasn't love that. anymore. That was more like relation, that was like. It was yeah, comfort, it was routine. And uh, we just slipped into that kind of married life autopilot world. And uh, I tried to break up, I think, and it didn't take was one of those things our lives are just so baked in and then i think i uh cheated and she caught me and it was ugly and then we went to therapy to try to work it out but it's it's much like a car that gets into a wreck the door just never closed the same <laughs> you know what i mean yeah so, so what are your thoughts about then um commitment like outside of love marriage i think it's an antiquated idea i think it's kind of silly and unrealistic and I think we're coming out of that as we get all polyamorous and non-binary and queefy and all this stuff. I think we're slowly moving away from that. But uh, I think a lot of the ladies, more majority women like marriage, like the idea of it. Like I'm in a, I'm, I'm a fiance now or whatever you call it. I'm oh, yeah. engaged. And I mean, she is just going hog wild. She's loving it. She's got the dress thing, pick a venue, flower, and she's, She's deep in, whereas I feel guilty because I'm just like, ah, jeez. <laughs> Is it planned already? Yeah, When's the wedding? You see Squid Game? I'm just living life. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's uh, planned. It's in New Orleans. I'm from there, and uh, it's next year. Okay. Are you married? No, single. Virgin? Uh, of course, yeah. I can't uh, imagine. I bet you'd be great in bed. You're ripped. Uh, you I the best hairline in podcasting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I haven't tried yet, so we'll have to see. All right, well, let me know. Pretty big hog on you. <laughs> yeah, I could see you packing a crazy, crazy tool downtown. Mm-hmm. 
that matters to girls? Apparently, yeah. That's okay. all I hear about. <laughs> okay, New Orleans. You grew up in New Orleans? Yeah, born and raised. Treme, outside the French Quarter. You ever been? Yeah. Don't remember it. Oh, you drink? Yeah, I drink. Oh, of course shit. I drink. I don't know. I can't tell if you have fun. No, not really. But Rush, I mean, Russian, of course I drink vodka, oh, all that kind of stuff. Russian. Yeah, yeah, yes. I gotta know. You vodka. Gotta know. Beer yeah. was just labeled an alcoholic beverage in 2011. Fun fact. What do you mean? In Russia. It was, was just it? drinks. It was just like apple juice before. It finally yeah. got declared legally as an alcoholic beverage. Which means you can regulate it, that kind of thing. I guess so. Yeah. See, that's where your brain goes. Yeah, yeah, I just go, oh, these fucking Ruskies. I didn't even know there's rules about drinking. (laughs) This is good. I'm learning about Russia from you. So um, what's a difficult memory experience from childhood in New Orleans that uh, made you the man you are today? Mm, I don't know if it made me the man, but uh, geez, I had a lot of... uh, scuffles in the neighborhood with i was the white kid in the neighborhood so i was uh automatically the odd man out the minority the weirdo the dork the dweeb the honky so uh just a lot of memories of like getting slapped in the face by guys and just having to take it because there's like five guys there and they'd be like oh look you don't even fight back and you're like well, what am i gonna do hit you and then get beat up by these guys so a lot of that stuff was a uh, big bummer growing up got robbed all the time Lost a lot of bicycles. Had a bicycle taken from under me. That was pretty brutal. Uh, these kids pulled up. You know, I'm, they're like 17. And I was 13. And I had a face paint on. Like I had a, not black face, but I was at a summer camp. And I had a, a rainbow face painted on me. We were helping kids that day. So I let them put paint on me. And uh, so now I'm riding home. What a mark. Uh, what a what a goober I am. I'm riding home and these guys see me a mile away. I'm a sitting duck. And they go, we can take his bike. He's got a fucking rainbow on his cheek. So uh, they just go, hey, you know, like cut in front of you. They go, let me try your bike. I go, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I knew what they wanted. And uh, they go, let me try the bike. And then they just pushed me and took the bike. So stuff like that was really uh, shaping the insecurity, the self-worth. Did it, because uh, I've been mugged when I was younger, too. Really? Yeah, it changes your view of human nature a little bit. For sure. You go, wow, I didn't know people could be this mean, this yeah. cool. Yeah. Inconsiderate. I'm, I'm always worried about, it. did I fart too much? Am I annoying? Uh, am I pissing this guy off? But what a way to live. Just, I want the bike. I'm taking it. Fuck his feelings. For me, that quickly turned into... um realizing that that's just a temporary phase that those folks are in like they there's a they have a capacity to be good sure like for some reason for me that was a motivation to see can we discover can can we incentivize them to find like a better path in life like i i wasn't like all like i don't know gandhi about it you know of course i was pissed and all those kinds of things but i don't know it seemed like just the kind of thing you might do when you're younger. You hope. But this is adult crime, obviously. Yeah, I know. But yeah, exactly. And then it solidifies and then you're right. beyond saving at some point. But it's like there's always there's always an opportunity to uh to make a better uh life for yourself, to to become a better version of yourself. Yeah, and I remember coming home crying with no bike and my mom she's my parents are like liberal to a fault. 
Yeah. You know, where they were like, oh, well, they need it. They're poor kids in the neighborhood. And you're like, all right. But I, I also <laughs> like I have a bicycle that uh, I ride around, you know, and I also like to live in an area that's not just, you know, riddled with uh, theft and vandalism. But they were just like, ah, oh, they need it. And then it was, a, it was a moot point. We just moved on. So I remember very young being like, all right, I got to figure my shit out. Okay. So you, you said you were beat up quite a bit, like bullying and stuff? Pushed around. I was never hospitalized or anything. But, you know, you get a black eye here and there and a bloody nose, stuff like that. And it was just the outnumbered thing. The violence didn't really bother me because you're just kids. You're boys. Yeah. But it was the predatory, let's get him. You know, we can take him down. He's, you know, he's an easy target. That's what kills you. Yeah. The mental part. Yeah, you know, until you actually said it, I didn't realize. Cause I've, I've been in, what do you call them, scuffles. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's just one that stands out to me where, yeah. Ooh, let's oh. hear it, fatty. Bring it on. <laughs> and you do jujitsu and all that stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, you can right. see the guns through the suit. You're yeah. like John Wick. All right. Uh, all right. Well, I used to have, now you're going to start making fun of me. I used to have long hair for, for like a couple of years. I was wow. in a band playing music and stuff like that. And there was... Um, like most of the fights I've been in were basically one-on-one, maybe a little bit like a little extra stuff, but not outnumbered. And this one particular time, I've learned a lot of lessons, but one of them was I there was a fight started between me and this other person. And then uh, his buddies, I guess, were there. Uh-oh. And they, as opposed to like breaking it up or letting it happen, um, one of them grabbed my hair. It's the first time anybody grabbed, like, used it, my hair in a fight, which I've since then realized that that's actually a really powerful grip and a powerful oh, weapon. Yeah. Oh, very vulnerable it's, of you. And then my uh, head got pulled back, and they pulled me down to the ground. Like, I couldn't do anything. It was so, I remember being exceptionally frustrated. Yes. Like, that was the feeling, like, I can't do anything here. I'm, like, trapped. And then they, they were just, like, yeah, kicking me and hitting me and stuff like that. And I, the outnumbered part of it... um. Because I always kind of remember the trapped part because I just hated from a fighting grappling perspective how like like the feeling was this isn't fair. Yes, that's what it is. <laughs> it's a deep, deep unfairness. Yeah, that you just can't you can't win. The mob wins. Yeah, the mob wins. Scary stuff, and but it makes a makes a man out of you in a weird way. That builds character. You realize life isn't fair early, and you you yeah. go on from there. Yeah, so there's something there. And look at you today. They're yeah. probably, uh, you know, eating out of a dumpster at a Krispy Kreme, and you're here, got eight podcasts, you, you're doing great, you're talking to yeah. giant titans of the industry. No, I, I do remember returning home that night. I mean, that you said you were crying. That's really formative. Like, oh, yeah. That's the point in which you get to decide, what do I make of this moment? I mean, especially when you're younger, maybe it's not presented to you that way, but, like, some of the greatest people in history were bullied in these kinds yes. of ways and they made something of themselves in this moment like bullied by life in some kind of yes. way it's a, it's like an opportunity for growth it's um it's weird but like hardship even in small doses is like an opportunity for growth totally i mean look at richard pryor they say he's labeled as the best comedian of all time grew up in a whorehouse watched his mom get plowed by these guys in in the middle of indiana i want to say and uh, just who had a harder life he would suck dick for drugs all this stuff growing up beat up and uh then the weird thing is oops sorry that's my birth control alarm <laughs> and then the uh the whole world is like trying to get rid of bullying 
but we still do bullying, but now it's accepted bullying. It's very strange. So you're uh, you're a proponent of uh, beating kids up? Is that what you're Yes, and okay. sex with them. All right. Uh, <laughs> but no, uh, I just think it's part of life, and it's horrible. It is. It's like rain. You got to have it. Look, a rainy day is a bummer, you know, but you need it. And uh, I think it's similar to that. What, what was your relationship like with your uh, your mom, your dad? Well, what are some memorable moments with them? What did you learn from them? Good parents, the giving, thoughtful, uh, a little out to lunch. You know, they were workaholics, so there was it was hard to get a lot out of them. And my dad was kind of an angry dad. I think he just had like a weird childhood, and he's just trying to make it, and he's trying to provide, but it's hard, and we live in this horrible neighborhood, and we're getting robbed all the time. Um, so life was kind of coming down on him all the time. So then he'll take it out on you or whoever he would snap, but great parents, they cared, they put us first. Um, but there wasn't a lot of, I don't know, you see, you know, you ever go to a friend's house as a kid and there's like a picture of a ski trip and you're like, ski trip? What the <laughs> hell is that about? You know, yeah. it wasn't a lot of that and smart, very smart people, but I don't know how well they were at, uh, socializing. So you never like bonded with them like on a deep human level. There like, was some bonding, but it rarely deep. Yeah, it was just you know, almost, almost coworker. Hey, cold out, huh? What? It's cold out, huh? Oh yeah, like that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. I get there a little bit, but it. My parents would. And I hope they never do this. Though. But they would do a thing where my dad especially would do a thing where he would. Uh, he knew how to cut you down right to the bone, and so after a while, you're like, I'm not even going to interact with this guy because he he can get you so well. One time we were at a uh, like a Thanksgiving, some kind of family of event, and all the cousins are there. And I remember I was holding court. I was a young boy mm-hmm. finding my comedic legs in yeah. this weird tumultuous sea we call a family, and I was killing. And um, my dad comes out and he goes, "What are you holding court?" And I was like, "Ah!" And I felt like I was this big. I just woo, shrunk down. He just nailed it because in my head I'm like, "I'm holding court. Look at me. I got yeah. the whole room." And he goes, "What are you?" What are you holding court here? Yeah. You know, like, who the hell do you think you are? And I was like, he's right. I shouldn't be holding court. Who the fuck am I? I'm nobody. So uh stuff like that. Was he aware of that, you think? He wasn't. He wasn't. I don't think he was, but do you, do you give um parents a pass when they're unaware yeah. of the destructive like is it better when they're unaware? Because it seems like that's the way That's true. That's way the way parents often fail is they're not intentionally malevolent. Mm-hmm. They're just like clueless. Yeah. It's, it's a bittersweet thing because you're like, well, okay, he's not malicious. He's not trying to hurt me. But also, he doesn't know he hurt me. I, I don't know. It's it's tough because if he was trying to hurt you, I guess that would be worse. So you're the fully baked Mark Norman cake at this point. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, it's a shitty you, cake. <laughs> do you... Um, Fruit salad. You know, the sense of self-worth you mentioned... I think in your comedy, there's a sense like you hate yourself. You think? Like when I listen, <laughs> I didn't know if that came through. Shit, I was trying to hide that part. God damn it! I mean, when you like in the privacy of your own mind, are you able to love yourself, or is it mostly self hate? Jeez, <laughs> oh, what happened to this podcast? I didn't know I was on uh, Mister or Doctor Phil. Doctor Phil. I thought we were going to uh, talk about engineering and and climate change and uh, rockets. Uh, oh, we'll get there. Okay. Starts with love, goes to rockets. All right. I like that. I like that. That's a t-shirt. Um, 
I mean, like, what's the question? Sorry. <laughs> Do I feel love? No, no, like, Do I love uh, myself. Yeah, yeah. So, are you, um, like, this engine of being self-critical, of just being constantly anxious about how the world perceives you? These kinds of things. Is this something that you just go to for for comedy, or is this who you are as a human being? I think I I don't want to explore it. I think I get around it. You know, I tap dance around it, but I get it out a little with my act, maybe. Because I, I can't do it. I'm not doing it in real life. So I'll get out this uh, no love, not loving myself. I don't know. Who wants to love themselves? Everybody always like, you got to love yourself. And then when you meet somebody who does love yourself, you're like, I fucking hate this guy. <laughs> don't you hate the guy who's upset? I'm great. I'm awesome. Life is good. You're like, ah, this guy sucks. I'd rather an insecure guy. So maybe I want to stay insecure. Maybe I don't want to find this love for myself. Well, okay. So self-love, like just appreciating who you are, or like appreciating the moment or being grateful, doesn't have to express itself by the guy saying, I'm awesome. True. It's more just like humility. It's just like walking calmly through the world and just being grateful to be alive, that kind of thing. And just- That's and, good. And like oh, being appreciative of all the accomplishments you made so far. I say all this because- Mostly, I'm extremely self-critical in everything I do, yeah, and nice. so, <laughs> uh, and I kind of enjoy it. I think it's a nice little engine that it makes it fun. It makes life fun because it's like if if you hate everything you do, like you've done in the past, that gives you like, all right, we'll, we can do better. Yes, but that's the key: is making it self-critical. Always trying to get better. I could change this. I could tweak this. I can improve this. When you just go, I hate that I do this, I suck, you right. just shut down. So that's the key is is always being productive with the uh, with the criticism. Yeah, and the basics of life, I'm just like grateful for it, to be alive. That's nice to be coupled, like couple that with uh, two legs, criticism Again, the hairline, the hog, the muscles, the, the 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 world. You got a good brain on you. I mean, yeah. you're you're lucky. You're in the top. You know, most people are fat as shit at Burger King right now hitting their kids. Yeah. You're in a, in a Ramada hotel sitting with a, you know, a low-level comedian. For the record, I ate McDonald's last night. So oh, <laughs> all right. Well, you're human. <laughs> well, just so you know, this is not me defending. I'm not sponsored by McDonald's, but I mostly eat meat, and there's nothing wrong with the, the, the beef they have. Mm. It's actually one of the easiest ways late at night. I think it's to, worse. To, I don't know if it's actually... It's Cow. it's actually rats. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but hey, it's just meat. I'm a meat guy myself. Uh, they say in 20 years we're going to look back and go, uh, can you believe people ate meat? It's not like somebody like slavery. Yeah, there's some ethical, difficult things with uh, factory farming. Yeah, so let's ride it out now while we still got it. <laughs> and now it's on record. Tom Waits said something about New York. You like Tom Waits? I think he's underrated. I think he's got great. He's got a great, uh, he's great at quips and quotes. He's, mm -hmm. Check him out on, on YouTube. He's got some montages and super cuts of him being hilarious. What does he say about, um, I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. That was the one. Yeah, that was the one that one. sold me. I was like, this guy's awesome. Yeah. But his music, because he's a, just a genius musician. Yeah. Anyway, he was talking about New York. And I was walking around these, I'm in New York right now. We're in New York right now. It's still a magical city to me. A lot of Agreed. people are quite cynical about it, about the state of things. But <laughs> not not like Michael Malice, like a lot of friends of mine. They're just a lot of folks in mean, San Francisco and New York. There's something about the pandemic where people have become quite cynical about the place they are and they try to escape. 
It's yes. interesting. I mean, they're asking some difficult questions about what they are in life. They're having like a self-imposed midlife crisis. It's, it's good, I think, for everybody to go through this process. But I think, I hope New York reemerges. It at, will. As the flourishing place for the weirdos. Anyway, the Tom Waits said, New York, of course, is to be in endless surreal situations where a $50,000 gunmetal Mercedes pulls up in a puddle of blood and outsteps a 25 carat blonde with a $2 wristwatch. Ooh. And he goes, he keeps going on. So like, it's like, um, that's like bars. He's like a rapper. Yeah. yeah he's good. Um, but basically just the absurdity uh, of it all, lots of money, lots of weirdos, uh, degenerates and dreamers and the whole, the whole mix of it. Do you think, um, do you think that's an accurate description of what New York is today? Like, is there still place for the weirdos and just the interesting artists, the the edgy, the comedians, the the creators, the 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 um, the entrepreneurs, like as opposed to like Wall Street, as opposed to like rich folk, and then like hopeless folk. Yeah, I think it's definitely changed a lot. There's a there's a tiny corner for us weirdo artists. New York used to be where you went to make it as a painter or whatever, a comedian or a singer. And there were all these dives and shit boxes and all these places you could go. And now there's a, now it's more pink berries and Subway sandwiches and Chase Banks. So <laughs> it's definitely lost a lot of its uh, creative edge. It's just money. Money keeps coming in. And now you see all these comedians move to Nashville, Austin, Denver, whatever. So uh, it doesn't have the, the power it used to have of like, you got to be here if you want to make it. That's definitely gone. Uh, so that hurt the city a lot. The city is, is way more soulless. When I moved here in 07, I mean, not only did I get mugged three times in the first year, but it was a hub of like, it felt like things were happening here. You know, it was it was an energy. It was an electricity. And we still have the electricity, but it's also maybe just because there's Times Square, there's Soho, there's uh, Wall Street. So we got the staples, but there is a little bit of that. It's almost like a marriage. Like, yeah, we're in love, but it, it's not as passionate as it once was. That's how I would equate New York. What gives you hope? You're pretty hopeful about it, though. I'm hopeful just because I know it's magical, and I and I think it has to be. I mean, it's the epicenter of America. Like, this is where the immigrants came, and this is where the stock market is, and the entertainment industry, a lot of it is here. So I think it, it's... It's going to happen, but it all, something like the bottom has to fall out and then people have to move back here and all that. So something, the corporations are kind of fucking us. They're just buying everything. Well, that's true for everything. That's Aust true for everything. Uh, it's true for Austin probably as well. People are just buying out land and all that kind of stuff. You always hear a Hemingway and Dali and all these guys went to Paris in the 20s or whatever that was. Yeah, I get it now. I used to be like, why do these guys go to Paris? You know, why do these uh, artists? And now I get it because it's like, it's freer there. That's why Austin became like that Paris where everybody's like, I got to get out of LA. I'm going there. And, uh, maybe, but we came back from that, you know, the seventies were wild and nineties were cool. So maybe it'll come back. I just take a decade. Well, there's always, that's how stories are told. There's always pockets of like Paris within New York. Right. True. true. Of, of, there's just an opportunity to let your weird flourish is there in New York. I'm sure. I mean, um, it's there. You got to find it. Before it was front and center. What's your favorite thing about New York? Like, what what kind of things? Just like 
I mean, how long is this pod? I could go on. It's just, it's too much to to put into one hour. We've got other questions, but I love that one neighborhood is wildly different than the next. I'm in Little Italy, and then you take four steps. Now I'm in Chinatown. I mean, and then the history there, and then the stories, and the food, and the culture, and all that. And then you go ten feet over here. And now you're in Brooklyn, and this is insane. It's a whole other world, and it's it's almost like a little America in one you know, a city and it's great. And, uh, just the fact that they pulled it off, like fifth Avenue goes way up and you're like, there's a billionaire's house next to a hobo. And then this is a black guy who's, who's fighting with a Cuban guy and an Asian guy's, uh, trying to get in the middle of them. And the cabbies from, uh, the middle East. And there's so many beautiful women here and there's so many brilliant minds here. And, and the pace is great. It keeps people moving. I mean, it just, you can't beat it. I mean, the city will fuck you in the ass, too. Don't get me wrong. You land at JFK, and you're like, oh, God, I got mugged. My uh, my Uber driver called me a homo. Uh, I stepped in, in human shit. Where the fuck am I? Um, so, yeah, it's it's bad news. But that bad news, it's almost like the bullying. It kills you in a weird way, but it makes you stronger, and you build more layers and layers and layers. That's why some new guy, some hayseed from Milwaukee shows up. You've been here 10 years, and you go, let me let me help you out. Because uh, you're you you got to adjust. You're gonna get your ass kicked for like six months. But I know the ropes a little, and uh, I think you need a little of that. If the treadmill's not on, you're not gonna run. New York, the treadmill's on, so it just makes you run, and it makes you better. And look, it wears on you. You probably lose ten years of your life living in New York versus uh, you know Indianapolis. But it's a, you know it's a better life. Have you seen Twenty Fifth Hour? Yeah, with that Norton Wild. Um, Spike Lee joint. Yeah, Spike Lee joint. I mean, uh, at Norton, there's a there's a whole like monologue there about New oh, York. Oh, that's right. They're talking about just he he has like a mix. It's, there's like melancholy music, I think, or just a melancholy feel to the whole thing. But there's an anger and a disgust with the city. Yeah. But through the anger and the disgust comes out like a a love for the city. Same with was taxi driver in New York. Oh yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so like that, there's something about the, what is that? What is that 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 uh, grit of the city that like pushes you down? Well, that's the beauty of the city is it's this tribal human nature, like the sex shops and fistfights and racism and all this tension, but yet it's the epicenter of technology and finance and sophistication yeah. on Fifth Avenue. So you get that juxtaposition. <laughs> kind of like in Boston. You go to Boston, they got MIT, they got Harvard, they got all this shit. And then they got the fishermen, the blue-collar douchebags, the Irish guys, the immigrants, you know? And you get that mix of, like, insanely smart with wicked pissa and these these two worlds. And that's, what, that's a good thing. It's like when a black guy fucks an Asian lady. That's a good-looking kid. You get a mix. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're mixing two totally different things. They're coming together, and it makes it. It's like peanut butter and chocolate. Peanut butter and chocolate. I've never tried that. What? Peanut butter. Maybe I have. I'm talking about, I'm talking about Reese's, man. Like Reese's, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Oh, it's the best candy. Yeah. Without the fakeness of LA, without the without the kind of um with the facade. Yeah, LA's tough. What's the difference between uh LA comedy and New York comedy too? Mm. I think one place you kind of go to make it and be discovered and be loved and one place you go you can you can get all that in new york too but i think in new york it's more of a a school a boot camp of comedy 
Let's make great comedy. Let's make original comedy. Let's watch the other guys and gals who are at the show at the clubs and learn from them and try to hang out with them and, and absorb some of them. And uh, in LA, it's like, when am I on? I'm next. Get out of my way. I'm the star here. I'm a bigger star than you. Oh, this guy's actually a big star. I got to outwork. You know, it's just a lot of that instead of like, damn, that was funny. I got to be that funny. Damn, I wish I had a joke. And look, I, I don't want to speak for LA comics because there's, you know, Bill Burr, Anthony Jeselnik, uh, these yeah. brilliant LA comics, but they all cut their teeth in New York. Just saying. <laughs> then they moved to LA. It's a good point. You know, uh, Ali Wong, all these people, killer comics, but New York started New York, moved to New York. There is something about comics that stay in New York for a long time, though, like Dave Attell. Ah, uh, you know about Dave? Yeah, yeah, he wants to do this podcast. He does? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Dave Attell. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like, he it, it almost like he doesn't want to make it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you probably yeah. know him, but like, it feels like you just, uh, maybe it's romanticizing it, but you're like, you almost just love the art of comedy, yes. of like becoming funnier crafting the jokes, becoming funnier than the other comics, like competing with each other kind of thing, not over like money or fame or any of that, yes. just just purely the comedy of it. Totally, that's Dave, that's him in a nutshell. He's like that guy in the movies, in the 80s action movies where they're like, they go up to a, a creek in Montana and some guy's living in a cabin and he's sharpening a stick and they go, the Russians are coming, they're invading, we need you, you're the best commando. And he's like, I gave that up, man. I'm done with that lifestyle. They're like, but you're the best, we need you. And he has to suit up eventually. You know, he looks at a picture of his dead wife and he goes, fuck it, I'm going. And then they, you know, fight the Ruskies. But uh, he's that guy. He just is gifted. He's like got a gift from Allah and he's the best. Yeah, a lot of comics give him props. It's always surprising to me. I didn't, because it's surprising to me because he hasn't really made it like big. Uh, he as did big. in the nineties. He was huge. He had his own TV show. He was the yeah yeah. That guy. show was that show was awesome. But I mean, like as big as I think he deserves to be. So I well, that's art. The mainstream shit is always the worst. The, it's like McDonald's versus some hole in the wall. I know I'm shitting on McDonald's again, but it's good. And you know, certain comics we could name are good, but the the delicacy is going to be less talked about and less uh household namey than than the mainstream hacky shit yeah it's funny because he hasn't uh i think it was on uh joe rogan's show once maybe yeah once or twice and and he was with somebody else um jeff ross yeah he might he might have been with jeff ross oh yeah because they did that like two mics thing Bumping whatever mics yeah yeah um but he's the quickest guy there's no so one quick. funnier yeah 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 him and uh you you're super quick your, your appearance on recent appearance on rogan was hilarious oh thanks He's just so fast you're on with uh ari and shane gillis shane gillis yeah that was fun we're that going back awesome. in january yeah nice. i don't know when this comes out <laughs> this has never come out <laughs> <laughs> neither will you oh. <laughs> we're having fun yep all right so what does it feel like um to bomb in stand-up comedy like Ooh. to fail Maybe the psychology of it first, like just take me through it. Because we're talking about being uh, outnumbered in, in a fight, just being beat up. <laughs> Very similar. <laughs> uh, by the way, this is like a no eye contact off. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I we're both uncomfortable. Then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's kind of nice to be with my people. <laughs> um, but yeah. Do you need a sheet of paper to look at? Or? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, I got a good sweet spot right there. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, it's a nightmare, but it's part of it. You know, it's it's 
it's the it's the validation too is the worst part. Like, because you know, whenever you do comedy and kill, you can be a great comic. But even David Tell, these brilliant guys, they feel like they're getting. You feel like you're getting away with something. I don't have a day job. I'm telling jokes for a living. I'm yeah, talking about yeah, my yeah. dick up here, and they're yeah. fucking loving me, and they yeah. call me he's a, a genius and all yeah, this. I'm yeah. talking about my sack. Yeah, you know, and uh, and it's great. It makes people happy, and it's funny, but. Uh, that bombing. When you bomb, you go. Your first thought is like, "Yeah, you're right." You're, at first, you're like, "Fuck you, guy." What you don't like this shit, and then you just start going in. You're like, "Ah, maybe it isn't that good. Maybe they're right. I do suck. I knew I sucked. I should become a mailman." You know, and uh, it stinks, and it feel you feel alone, and you feel like you wasted their time, and then you're like, "What was I thinking? I could be a comedian. What the fuck? Who am I? You know, Eddie Murphy? What am I doing here?" So uh, it's a lot of just spiraling out of horrible thoughts. But I also love that it hurts so bad. Bombing fucking hurts because now now everybody doesn't do it. I think a lot more people could do comedy probably and figure it out. But the bombing is so brutal that it keeps... Uh, one time I went to Minneapolis. I was like, this is a great city. I mean, it's, the sun is shining. Why isn't this city like <laughs> packed? And they're like, because the winters are so bad and we love it because it keeps everybody out. And I feel like the same about comedy. The bombs are so brutal. I've had bombs where I'm in the, I'm in bed. I'm just staring at the ceiling like, what the fuck was that? Like, you have PTSD. I bombed at an arena once, 20,000 people. I did 30 minutes to silence. I so it's serious. not just like one joke fails. It's oh, like yeah. they start piling on like it's irrecoverable. Yes. And one joke failing is very common. Like a lot of audience don't even notice like yeah. that bomb. Because you, you, you know, you got so many jokes in a row. You can sandwich a good one, then a bad one, then a good one. But when you bomb, it's almost like they chose, we don't like you. Yeah. Nothing you say will redeem yourself, and uh, it's hard to get out of. It's like being pulled down by your hair. You can't get back. I can't yeah. win this fight no matter what. Can you, like, get him back by acknowledging, like, the that elf helps. in the room that, like... <laughs> that helps, but they're still going to go... And that was funny when he made fun of it, but he sucks. He still sucks. He still sucks. <laughs> That's the worst part. You're going, yeah. no, this is good. You guys just don't like me. Just because you don't like me doesn't mean I'm bad. Yeah, I, I like going to open mics a lot, just, just listening, because first of all, I think the audience in the open mic, at least the ones I've been to, is uh, mostly, I guess, other comedians, it, it, or like at least people who don't seem to want to laugh at anything. Yes. And so I just love it, because it's human nature and perseverance that is best. But here's comedians, like clearly, uh, this is mostly in Austin, they have a dream. Yeah. Like, why would you get up there? Right. Like, Maybe some weird, you know, New Year's resolution bullshit. Yeah. But for the most part, it's people who want to be comedians. Like a lot of the open micers are people who have clearly have done this for quite a long time. Already. Yeah. Like at least a year or two, maybe five years. And they're often not very funny. And um, the just bombing in front of an audience of like 20 where Ooh. they're just sitting there like almost like mocking them with their eyes yes. or maybe <laughs> and i don't know and they still push through they still they still like as if they're doing an arena and everybody's laughing yeah still they still got that energy trying almost like to an audience that doesn't exist like an audience of their dreams because i guess that you have to do that to keep the energy of the act going and it's just so beautiful to watch wow. them try it is uh and also the what happens open mic i don't know five minutes whatever they do they you know walk off and that walk 
back, you know, off stage. Oh, nightmare. And, and like, you can't, what, who do they look at? Like, what do you <laughs> look, do you make eye contact with people? Do you? You look at your phone, you look at your feet, you, you just zone out. You kind of, you kind of go white, you know, you just hear white noise and go out. It's, it's tough. But you got it. You need a little, a, del, a little delusion to be a comedian. To get into it, it takes a little bit of delusion. Like you think you can do this, you know. You got ten years ahead of you of hell, and you're up for this. And you know, most comics, we see a horrible crowd, and we see our friend bomb, and we go, "Yeah, he's bombing, but I'll get him. I'll get him." And then you don't get him. But <laughs> that's that's human nature too is like i they don't like him but they'll like me and yeah. you need a little of that to keep going as a comedian but you don't want too much delusion because then you're a psycho but you need a little well the psycho could be good for a comedy that's true too a lot but of psychos i mentioned to you offline um that i talked to elon and we talked about doing stand-up that he's thinking maybe do a few minutes of stand-up say if you need a coach elon i gotcha <laughs> uh, well maybe you should move to austin to coach him full-time I hope they can fly me in. So what what advice would you give to somebody who um who wants to try to do five minutes? Like the early steps of uh trying to go to an open mic and say something funny. Well, that's the irony of comedy is I don't know if it's irony, but it's like the beginning is the hardest part. Usually the beginning is the easy part. Hey, I'm playing this level of Mario. I start, I jump over one Koopa Troopa, whatever. And then the end is like, Jesus Christ, I got 30 guys coming at me. Yeah. Comedy's the opposite. The beginning is like, it's a gauntlet. It's just obstacles. And it's like you said, open mics. You, I watch these famous comedians on Netflix and you go, this would all bomb on an open mic. They're killing in you know Radio City. Yeah. This would bomb on an open mic. That's the weird part. So it's almost like you have to go through hell just to get to the, the promised land. And uh, I would say rehearse the shit out of it because you're going to get frazzled up there. Everybody thinks, oh, this is good material. But you also forget about the other part of delivering it, having confidence, being likable, having timing, having a cadence, figuring out who you are, figuring out what the audience thinks you are or how they perceive you. Because you can go up there and say all this, but they go, well, that's the guy, he's clearly gay. Why is he acting <laughs> like he's not gay? You know, that's all. They're, now they're not listening to the joke. So, like, yeah. you got to know how you look. And uh, it's just repetition, repetition. And bombing is not failure. That's what you got to remember. I mean, look, if you if you do a, a killer hour and then you take it to Netflix and bomb, you fucked up. Mm -hmm. But bombing is not failure. It's just data. It's going, oh, okay, I got to re retool that. That didn't work. Something wrong there. They, I missed a word there. So you got to treat the uh, the act almost like uh, like uh, like ingredients in a in a in a cooking in a dish you know like oh that i put too many eggs in take an egg out you got to treat it like that and look when you pull a, a bad cake out of an oven you go i fucked up but it doesn't hurt your feelings but when you bomb and fuck up it hurts your feelings so you got to factor that in too your feelings gonna be hurt and just almost be a robot and just keep going towards that open mic you know how scary an open mic is bombing sucks but bombing in front of other comedians is way worse because they know what just happened and they could have saved you and they didn't so it's way worse. And they're going to be your quote-unquote friends for this, <laughs> yeah, exactly. for this journey. Yeah, no, these are evil people. <laughs> Twisted, fucked up, well, hurt people. Can you tell, like, in those early days, let's just talk about that, like, at the open mic level, that a joke is going to be good on paper? Like, I'll, I'll give you my experience, because uh, 
um, maybe you could be my coach in this particular Please. moment. So, uh, like Larry Nasser. <laughs> all right. That's that's fun, huh? Uh, Joking, everybody. I hope nobody takes right. it seriously. Uh, there's I now have an amazing team of uh, of folks who help me with editing, and they're now currently sweating. Uh, watch this. You got to leave that one in. That was quick. Yeah, that's pretty I'll, good. I'll eat that one. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So. Uh, you know, uh, going in front of an audience, just even to give a lecture terrifies me, uh, which, which I've done. Mm -hmm. But uh, open mic, I mean, that to me, perhaps that's why I like going to open mics and listening is because I just, it terrifies me so much, that idea yeah. of going up there and bombing. I mean, it's scary. It, and to do even like one minute, to be honest, is scary. And oh, five yeah. minutes, I'm, I'm also watched enough open mics to realize that five minutes is a long time. I mean, it Ooh. depends on your comedy, but if you're doing fast stuff, five minutes is a really long time. Oh, it's eternity. Um, I guess with a long story, Two is a long time because if the story is not working, you're building up to something. If the story is going to fail, yep. you just spent all that time telling the story that completely went flat. Completely. Got nothing. I guess if you have a series of jokes, you can at least try to recover and like mm -hmm. do the Mitch Hedberg thing where like, all right, I'll cross that off. Yeah, that yeah. Uh, well, I'm able to, like I've tried to write a few things and I'm able to tell that it's really bad. <laughs> well, that's like, better than most. <laughs> Most people's egos kick in. They go, no, this is good. No, see, I'm able to introspect that. Like, it seems funny. I mean, I guess the thing I'm looking for is original. Like, there's easy stuff that you, you think is funny. But to me, originality is the thing you should be looking for. Because then, Because then that's what's actually becomes funny. Like, or rather, if it's original, even if it bombs, that feels like more a beautiful art creation that you did. Like at least yeah. you swung for it. Like you did something unique. Cause there's like, even with open mic, your first five minutes, there's so many, just go to enough open mics. You'll hear like all the, there's like a list of jokes that yeah. you can just go to. First of all, you can make fun of the fact that you're at an open mic, that you're right. like doing this the first time and so on. You could do a lot of stuff where you make fun of your appearance in some way yep. and so on. But like, yeah, you could do that. You know, that takes actually, that's way harder than people realize to do it in an original way. Yes. To, to present who you are as a person very quickly, enough to then <laughs> put that person down in front of everybody else. So you have to reveal the... <laughs> the audiences like that because they go, he knows what we're thinking. Yeah, exactly. Um, but do it again in an original way. And so like yeah. when I'm trying to write stuff, uh, when it, not that I've tried long, it's like 30 minutes, but as enough to see like, oh shit, the, to write something original is really difficult. It is. But do you, you got a bit, anything? No. Did, you didn't write any one liner or anything? For this? No. Well, just not... in general, ever in your life, ever written a joke? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. No, but I don't have anything in my mind right, popped up. Right. So the, the, the jokes that I've written have more to do, like for some reason my mind goes to like dark places so Same. you know r r like and not actually dark in the mark norman dark because you go really dark mm -hmm. to where it's like almost absurd yes M my natural inclination is to go to like a dark historical like place like hitler and stalin yeah and almost 
So go to that place and then talk about something absurd there. Mm -hmm. So like, don't go like, um, like all the way, I don't know. I don't want to give examples because it would be clipped, but the, <laughs> but the Mark Norman style, look it up. He has a special on his YouTube. Uh, that kind, I, I, I want to almost explore the dark aspects of human nature more kind of uh, connected to actual historical figures. That's the that's the inclination. Like, uh, I don't know, Nature's Metal, the, the Instagram yeah, channel that, that. that explores like the darkness of nature, yes. like, like something there. That, uh, see, that's good that you already know that you, you've kind of gotten to the core of your comedy already. And that, that's interesting. That's yeah, a step ahead. Yeah, I can hear. I mean, with most things that I do in life, I can like hear the music from a distance, like in myself, like, okay, if you have anything, this is the direction it'll be. Yeah. Without actually knowing exactly all the steps. And that's a nice motivation to be like, all right, well, if you do this for a long time, maybe you'll have a chance to get there. Right. But you have to. I, that that's where the it's a feature to be super self-critical i think yes but then that's why it's fucking terrifying to walk up to a stage stand there and probably forget everything yeah that's the other part nobody thinks about just whew, goes right out of your head you go fight or flight it's ugly my, my first years were horrific bombing horrific stammering horrific not remembering the punchline like you got maybe you got a, a setup going and they're kind of on board and you're like ah how's that uh, i can't i can't remember how it goes and you just hate yourself it's it's a nightmare but you've already kind of maybe if you haven't done stand-up or whatever but you kind of know your voice and that's yeah that's pretty advanced so you're not trying to be somebody else i guess yeah just for having done like podcasts and lecture and right. so on that helps you've i've embarrassed i've already done some of the work of the stand-ups do which is embarrass yourself in front of others yes. for prolonged periods of time yes yeah so <laughs> I've done that without actually developing the funny. Right, <laughs> so, right, right. But maybe the funny just is not that difficult to develop. Uh, no, it's super difficult, of course, but I mean, maybe the essential work of a stand-up comedian is just the embarrassment of like finding who you are. Yeah, that's a part of it for sure. You know, in the beginning, you're like, water bottle. What's funny about water bottle? Mm, I'm a funny guy. I can make this funny, but that ain't. that's not it. You know, it's, it's your shit, your shit, like your dark stuff. For me... I tend to gravitate towards dark, but in a weird way where, you know, people will say like, hey, don't objectify women. But then they go, Caitlyn Jenner's beautiful. And you're like, well, wait, I know something's off here. Mm -hmm. Why can you objectify her, but not the supermodel? So what's going on there? And I like to play with that. So yeah. I have this joke where I say, uh, Caitlyn Jenner, oh, sh oh, women go, Caitlyn Jenner's beautiful, beautiful woman. I go, well, you look like her. And they go, fuck you. And you're like, there's a lot of truth there. Yeah. But I like exploring that kind of, oh, you're trying to get one over on me, or you're lying to yourself, or well, what are we doing here? And I like I like that kind of comedy. Okay. I don't see color. Well, I'm black. No, you're not. Ah. <laughs> you know, that's fun, because you're, you're lying. Uh, yeah, okay, so like big-time comedians such as yourself don't like to think of yourself in this way. Uh, but here we go. yeah, this is like, where you over philosophize comedy, but yeah, definitely. Uh, it seems like comedians don't say important. Nothing worse than a comedian who thinks they're important. Yeah. So I was going there. I was trying to find as I was trying to say these words, I re realized how cliche it is and how uninteresting it is. So I'm going <laughs> to just 
But th- there is something. Uh, I'm worried this whole thing is uninteresting. I'm like, who cares about comedy? There's like six comics on the planet. That but nobody cares. Okay. This is. Just, I this trust is, you in the in the pilot seat. You know what you're doing. You got you got listeners. They've tuned out long ago. Oh, we got Dan Carlin on here, huh? Is he yeah. around? Yeah. We're just going back and forth on Twitter just now. I'm a Uh-oh. huge fan. He was on here before. He'll be back. He's great. I've been actually really uh, trying to volunteer myself aggressively with Dan Carlin for for, <laughs> for like a Russian episode where I can speak Russian. I, I there, there's there's certain documents. Same. I talked with Jocko about this too. C- certain things. I mean, I just love the challenge of bringing Russian documents that I can read in Russian and they can translate and can try to capture the uh the depth of the writing in um in the russian language and, and communicate to the american audience so much is lost in translation like there's so much pain and poetry in the russian language it's just connected to the culture I mean, every language not every language but many languages are uniquely able to capture the culture of the people i mean in some way they're the representation of the culture of the people and so Russian is definitely that. It like represents the full history and culture of the 20th century with all the atrocities, all the all the broken promises, all those kinds of things. Norm says uh, Russian literature is it's the most tapped into human existence than anything else. Uh, Norm McDonald. Yeah. Big big Russian literature guy. Dostoevsky, all that shit. It's funny that there is a gap with comedians too. There's a culture of Russian comedy, uh, like stand-up comedians that are totally that right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know these Russians. I mean, uh, I don't know today. I'm, oh, I, I mean, oh, more okay. from the 80s and 90s. And so there's a Yakov. That's <laughs> no, all I know. That's not so. There's like, of course, that's that's. <laughs> I've never seen you that offended. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not offended. There's a different. Uh, uh, there's there's a there's like the Kinnisons and the there's the edgy. Is that Russian? What What do you mean? Wait, I thought you said there was Russian comics. Yeah, Russian. Com- I mean, I'm comparing style. them. I'm, I'm giving you. I'm giving you like a style, a darkness. Uh, like that's the kind of people that I kind see. of challenge. Uh, they they give again. This is to how important comedians are. Is they give a voice to people where in the Soviet Union you really can't like express your opposition to the government, and so comedians are exceptionally important there. Mm-hmm. For just, just I don't know, channeling the anger, even when sometimes it's not the actual opposition to the government, they're just channeling the anger, the frustration with the absurdity of life. Like, you know, when there's a shortage of food, shortage of jobs, the 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 absurdity of the bureaucracy, like the uh, top heavy government, mm-hmm. just all of that can only sometimes be expressed with like dark, absurd humor and that actually why th- there's a culture of that kind of humor you know you gather around the table with vodka yeah and all you can do is just talk shit yeah and just be offensive say horrible shit ball bust i mean school i make school shooting jokes and people go how do you do that i'm like well maybe that's how i deal with it yeah you know like how come i gotta i gotta empathize the way you do maybe we're different all right, so now let's skip the whole open mic thing and <laughs> crafting jokes. Oh, uh, yeah, that's tough. Kerouac said, one day I will find the right words and they will be simple. When do you know the joke is done? It's perfect. You're uh, somebody that does like 
really sharp, like fast uh, jokes. Oh, well, thanks. So like there, there's somebody, I don't know. I don't know who you see yourself in the same school as like, uh, had, you're, you're, mm. you're darker and faster than Hedberg, I think, in terms okay. of like, just, I don't know, the turns you take are very- <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks. I appreciate it. I think I got some Norm McDonald and Norm, maybe Norm, that's right. Norm, you know, yeah. little, obviously Norm, but uh Chris Rock was huge for me. Chris Ro old like nineties Chris Rock was like I didn't know you could do jokes like that. I always loved George Carlin and Groucho Marx and Bill Murray. There's so many different types of comedy. But uh when I saw the bigger and blacker bring the pain, I was like, Oh my god, this like it hit me. So that was big. And then Norm's just like the funniest guy on the planet. So him him being the smartest guy in the room, but acting dumb was great. So uh, yeah, I, Chris Rock has that way of cutting to the the bullshit, which I, I mentioned earlier. I like that cutting through the bullshit kind of style of comedy because you kind of go, oh, I'm not crazy. That's what I thought too. I was too scared to say it, but I thought that. And he's saying it and a room of people are laughing. Maybe I'm not an idiot. So that helped me. So it's observational, but not Jerry Seinfeld. Yes. observational it's like look going to the darker thing to, yeah to the, like within society great, but i like him too but seeing it doing it about stuff like in your life society yeah race gender government yes. politics all that kind of exactly, stuff exactly getting exactly sex human emotions jealousy whatever it is that that's the good stuff How'd you feel when Norm passed away? Ah, that was a bummer because uh, he was, you know, what, 61? And uh, I just didn't see it coming. And I just, I've, I've watched so many hours of his stuff and I've, I've met him and he he's like, he was like this comedic bar. Like, hey, we got Norm, you know, there's so much shit comedy. Then you see Norm and you're like, this is next level. This is savant type shit. And then to lose him is like, ah, Norm had... 20 more years at least of just content and content and thoughts and his point of view. And that's, we'll never get that. And that sucks. Yeah. There is something about artists like Jimi Hendrix dying yeah. too early. It's like, you wonder what was next. Yeah. What was next? But then part of it is like, um, you know, it all ends for all of us. And it's like walking away early is, um, it's kind of admirable. It's almost like, I did a pretty good job. Yeah. I'm uh I'm I'm good with that. And especially the way he did, which is not telling anybody. I know. Nine years, his best friends didn't even know. And in this world of like victimhood and I need clicks and I need people to love me, he could have he got, you know, canceled and yelled at and in trouble and he could have pulled that cancer card and he never did. I mean, the integrity on this motherfucker. Did you get a chance to interact with him? Like, what? How many? How often did you meet him? I met him once at the Comedy Cellar, and we chatted for five minutes, and then he went on and did the the Letterman set that he did. He was running the Letterman set, and uh, sweet guy, nice guy. I didn't know him that well, but I mean, he's just brilliant. And I also love a brilliant guy who does stupid stuff. Mm -hmm. That's a fun, fun little combo there. Like silly guys who are actually brilliant, also. You know, like Louis C.K. is a brilliant comic, and he'll do a, a joke about farting on a kid. And you're like, that's great that he still finds farts funny, and he's also this comedic genius guy. I yeah. like that. And doesn't really acknowledge the genius. Yeah, like yeah. That's, yeah. I like, I like smart people that are silly. Yes, that's a good combo. <laughs> like you said, Elon is silly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's silly. great. Yeah.
because we we taught we teach kids like hey put that down stop that quit cutting up quit horsing around but maybe that's some kind of sign of brilliance there yeah being like childlike and yes. silly is is a kind of wisdom i feel yes. like those people are way wiser than the people that no offense to me wear a suit and take themselves way too seriously no but you got a spark in you a little You're, bit. you got a little uh what's Something. the word not uh elf imp a little imp in you give imp. that a goog you know about imp uh yeah let's look up. it's like a little uh is that a, a tolkien character imp yeah it might An be. imp is a european mythological being similar to a fairy or a demon are you calling me a fairy well... frequently no okay similar to a fairy or a demon Ooh, i feel so like that's, that's a big leap big leap yeah that's not a great uh info bio there frequently described in folklore and superstition the word may perhaps derive from the term imp spelled with a y used to denote a young grafted tree mm. oh it's a little mischievous you got a twinkle you're yeah, the serious twinkle. buttoned up guy but yeah, this yeah. there's a twinkle there's a twinkle wow and the audience can see the twinkle and that's why you resonate i think <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> deep analysis by mark norman psychological analysis okay but then Back to the crafting of the joke, you said Chris Rock and Norm Macdonald. Like, what for you? Um, how do you know when the joke is like done? Is, are there some jokes where you're like are proud of? Like, wow, that that's uh that's well done. Yeah, the, yeah, the joke is done. It's a tough question because there's so many different kinds of jokes. There's what we call a chunk, which is a big idea with a bunch of jokes in the middle of it, and then a big crescendo at the end. Or there's a one-liner. Or there's a tag of a joke that's also a joke. So the jokes come in different. Uh, like I have a joke where I say, I met my girl on that Jewish app. What's that Jewish app called? Uh, PayPal. Nice. <laughs> that's the hell. That's the reaction you want from the, uh, the crowd. But <laughs> it's a fun turn because you say your thing and then I hit you with a misdirect. And that's what a joke is. A joke is basically me saying something that makes sense, but you didn't see it coming. Yeah. And that's a perfect example of that. So uh, that joke took forever to figure out, by the way. You know, and but you uh, have to go to different services like PayPal. Like, what's funniest? Exactly. And I figured PayPal is funny because it has the word pay in it. Yeah. You know, Venmo, it's also not really a good word. Venmo, PayPal. Yeah. It just hits better. Yeah. PayPal is funnier somehow. It's funnier somehow. And that's the beauty of comedy. There's a weird little magic into it. You can get technical all day and formulaic, but there's still that little bit of a. Uh, fairy dust that you don't know why this is funnier or imp dust imp dust yes the why okay so you know a joke is done when it kills and it is a roundness to a joke when you feel like this is buttoned up there's this is done here yeah is simplicity the right word there yeah is it, is it like you're chopping stuff away or are you adding stuff like what does it feel like simplicity is always the best angle i mean you can get real high concept with a joke and still make it work but the simpler the better I saw uh, Dave Chappelle on stage once, and Chris Rock and Dimitri Martin were in the back watching in awe. And Dave Chappelle, I can't remember the joke, but he said something about sex or women. And Dimitri Martin goes, eh, it's a little easy. And Chris Rock goes, that's why it's good. And I remember hearing that as a young comic, like, ah, I'm getting this like you know comedy lesson right here from these two titans. And so that was fun. Simple is key. So the easy is okay. That's, that's such a weird. Uh, I, I I think I remember um, reading or hearing Eminem say something about maybe the song some shade. The, one of the songs, he's like, I knew it was going to be good because it got 
like really repetitive and annoying very quickly or something <laughs> like that. I mean, that's the the sort of the music equivalent of um, it's too easy. Like right. if it's like super catchy, as a musician, you might get very quickly bored of it. Uh, right. Or like as you're creating it, no, it's too it's too easy. It's, it's like there needs to be some more complexity to it. But I like complexity, but the best guys who, who are the ones who make complex shit look simple. Like you ever heard that uh, Ben Franklin story where he's talking to his friend? His friend's like, "I'm gonna start a hat store." So he puts a sign out that says, "Hats for sale, twelve dollars." And and Ben Franklin looks at it, and goes, "Uh, well, you don't need the twelve dollars because you know you, all they need to know is that you got hats for sale." He's like, "All right." So he loses the twelve dollars, makes a new sign, hats for sale, and he goes, "You don't you don't really need for sale because it's a business. People can put that together." So he just goes, "All right." He makes a new sign, it says hats, and then Ben Franklin's like. You know, you don't really need the word hat. You can just put a picture of a hat. And he made a new sign, which is a picture of a hat, and it like helped the business or something. There's like yeah. some old wives' tale or whatever. But I think about that all the time when I'm writing. I thought this was going to like there was no sign. It went like super like oh uh, maybe, maybe that could work too. Uh, what like as a comedian? So I'm I'm a fan of yours. I enjoy. I really enjoy you in conversations. Like wow, because you're now I'm getting nothing no, out of I'm, you. This is. <laughs> All right, I can't tell. Oh, like emotion? Well, you're tough not to I'm read. cold inside. <laughs> I mean, just the quickness you have. Uh, obviously, you're also a great stand-up comedian. What's your favorite medium to shine in? So you have uh, a podcast yourself, an excellent podcast. Mm -hmm. um, Thanks. You're often a podcast guest. Yeah. Um, which is always fun to listen to, how you're going to deal with the different people. Mm -hmm. You're great on Rogan. Oh, thanks. Um what 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 do you enjoy most? Podcasts are great because you can you can stretch out a little more, you can breathe a little. You know, with a stand up set, I like to be like boom, 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 boom. But podcasts are great because it's conversational, so you can be. It's almost like you're being funny with your friends. Yeah. Whereas the stage is like a this is a piece, this is a presentation. Uh, but I think the the podcast is great, but you don't get the reaction unless the host is laughing. You can't hear the guy in his car in New Jersey driving to work on ah. Every now and then I'll read a comment like, I spit out my coffee when you said this. And I'm like, but it's not immediate. You want the immediate. So stand-up will always be number one, but there's no better feeling than killing in a room of people who don't know who you are, strangers, you're in the middle of nowhere, you left your wife at home, you left your kids, you left your house, you're in the middle of bumfuck Dickville and murdering for these hillbilly nobody, whatever it is. And they're slinging their beers and woo, mm -hmm. cheering you on. And they carry you out and you fuck some fat lady and you leave and you get back to your hotel and you go, holy shit, what was that? No one will ever know about it. Just lost in the ether. That's the best feeling. Yeah. Killing in obscurity, as Bill Burr would say. Yeah, this is one of the things that sucks about giving lectures. Like at universities or giving lectures in general is when you look at uh, the audience, you know, several hundred students, they all have a bored look on their face. Yeah, of even, course. Like even like my, my face now probably looks bored, but I'm actually excited to be talking to you. But there's something about just, uh, there's something about a comedy club, maybe this the contagion of laughter, but like it gives people the freedom to just laugh, to like, yes. to remove that facade of like, you don't have to, you don't have to pretend like you don't care. Like if you care, you can show it and yes. you can have fun with it a lot. 
Probably liquor is helps, helps out too. Yeah, it helps for sure. But there is a especially, and that's why comedy I think is so popular right now because HR is up our ass. We're scared of old tweets that might come back to haunt us. What did I say on that interview? Uh, even people at offices are like, I put something on Facebook in 1999 that was about fat tits that I liked. Should I get rid of that? Even people say like, there's no cancel, whatever. There is something in the air right now that wasn't yeah. there before. Yeah, It's the video, uh, I'm a Karen, I got caught at Trader Joe, whatever it is. This People rat on each other now, everybody's tattletaling because they want the clicks. It's a horrible society we've crafted. Yeah. But stand-up comedy gets you to come out, and now people do it at stand-up shows too, sadly. But it gets you to come out and let that inhibition down. like Because we're all human, we've all had the fucked up thoughts like, man, that guy's fat as shit. It doesn't mean you hate the guy. It doesn't mean you hate fat people. It doesn't mean you're fat shaming. But you can't say that at the office. You can't go, Bob, you're fat as shit. You'll get fired for body shaming. But at the club, you go, that guy's fat as shit. The crowd goes, he is fat as shit. Ah!" And it's this weird cathartic thing because all we do is tamp shit down. It's kind of like you ever meet a girl who's like all prim and proper in the bedroom. She's like, put a lamp up my ass. Ah!" You know, whatever it is. It's because we got to get it out. We're all repressed in some way. So I guess what you're saying is uh, comedy is important. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Callback. All right. Well played, sir. Yeah. What do you think about Austin? What do you think about the comedy scene in Austin? We talk about LA and New York. What do you think about what Joe's trying to create there? So I I'll, I should say that the reason I moved to Austin, I have this dream of, uh, it wouldn't be funny if I said this dream of becoming a comedian. Okay. <laughs> an audience at least yeah that's true you know i always said you can hear the music in the distance i you know i have this dream around robotics and artificial intelligence whether it's a company whether it's something else that uh was just pulling me to do i actually wanted to move to san francisco and then all my friends in san francisco said no it's the wrong place yeah to to uh it's no it's at this time the 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 cynicism there is just not conducive to like taking big leaps into the unknown, excited about the future kind of thing. And and Austin was that, uh, with, with um, for me in particular with Elon Musk, but also just the energy that everybody had, including Joe, the excitement about the future. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't care if Austin burns to the ground and it actually is a complete failure. Uh, being excited about the future seems to be, like optimism about the future seems to be the thing uh, that actually makes that future happen. It makes a great future happen. So it's always cool for me to see, uh, like Joe, super excited about creating like a, a culture in Austin, like a making it a comedy hub. Like, yeah. I don't want to overstate it, but he, I mean, I think he really believes it'll be a very big place for comedy yeah. in the United States in general, in the world. And so just even believing that, that's powerful. Like, I agree. you start to make it, you start to make it happen. That energy uh, is there. Anyway, so, but that's for me from just an outsider watching uh, the fun of it. I should also mention for less of an outsider, more insider in the martial arts world, partially probably because of Joe, I'm not sure, like John Donahar, uh, Gordon Ryan, the B team, all of those folks, those are, that might be gibberish to you, mm-hmm. but uh, those are like some of the greatest grapplers and martial oh, artists really? of all time. So it's also becoming this hub Ooh. of martial arts. So the whole, the whole thing is, is just beautiful. Anyway, what uh, what are your thoughts about that scene? Well, uh, there's a lot, lot here, a lot of things to mention. One, I think Joe did do that to a, uh, at a, a degree, you know, like 
all these people. Segura lives there now. A lot of comics live there. He's opening clubs. Other clubs are opening. I think it's happening. That's the other thing is people go, everybody's moving to Austin. Austin's the new hub. And then they look at their watch and they go, five minutes went by, nothing changed. It's going to take years, you know, but everybody wants it now, now, now. Um, what? Austin? There's no industry there. You know, there's no Netflix, whatever. And you're like, yeah, I know, but it, it needs a minute. You can't just do this overnight. So people forget that. So it could happen huge. Just give it some time. I mean, he's opening a club. I went and saw it. It's incredible. Like, it's so perfect for comedy. It's every detail. It's incredible. But uh, so it could happen still. I do think where there's a little biting off more than they can chew with Austin because it's not that big. So like it's spread out. I mean, yeah, it's not big, and and the the infrastructure is not quite exactly. there to support it. But it has a lot of. I uh, mean, you know, I'm comparing from my from the tech side for. Uh, it has a lot of land to expand into. So True. it might become this. Uh, that helps. Like you're basically establishing, it's kind of like in New York, you're, you're establishing these whole neighborhoods. Yeah. And you have the freedom to do that because there's a lot of space on all sides. Yes. Okay. So that helps. So again, maybe some time. Uh, I do agree with this, that, that new hope that's kind of built into human beings of like, Let's go to America. Let's go to Utopia. We even have it with space. Let's go to Mars. We got to see what's over there. And it's just red, dusty bullshit. But you still got to go. So I, I'm with you on that, about this new hope, this new land. Uh, and I think that is beautiful. And I think there's a lot of haters. I think there's a lot of naysayers who hate change, who hate anything new. And then I think you got to go, hey, that hurts. That sucks. But blow me, dickless. I'm trying something. You're a loser. Stop hating on me. I mean, how many people hate Elon Musk, you know? Yeah, it's hilarious. I mean, there's uh, some of the criticism on Austin. It would be, it's like a fad. It's like uh, a lot of people are really, fad, yeah. are really people are excited about Austin. And somehow that's like, uh, it's like when Green Day became famous, you no longer want to right. uh, be a fan of Green Day. But to me, like that's... Uh, well, Austin was already a cool town. Like yeah. every comic five years ago was like, oh, I, I got Austin this weekend. I can't wait. Yeah. So it already had a buzz, but... Some people think maybe the buzz was the cool part. The fact that it was like this off the beaten path city yeah. and now I get to visit it and then leave. But I think it could still be this comedy tech booming place. It just will take some time and people want it right now. Well, on the tech side, it's... Uh, it's already it's, there? It's, 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 <laughs> it's getting there very fast. So, I mean, Elon's really pushing that with the factory... It's just like a huge number of people are, are moving there with jobs. Like mm -hmm. you're already starting. And then the opportunities to launch new companies is just incredible. I guess it's not right now. It's like within months, within a year, that kind of thing. But like it's an opportunity to just start to build shit in a new place. And I it's agree. cool. It's kind of like, you know, go to Mars. It's like you get to start over. Yeah. And I like the hope aspect. I think that's huge for people. And uh, I'm, I'm all for it. I hope it works out. I don't know if it will, but I don't know anything about economies and city scans, planning and all that shit. So it might be too early to say, but I hope it works. Are you still talking about Austin or Mars? Austin. Mars okay. is, uh, there's nothing there. There's no <laughs> vagina there. There's no food there. There's no water there. I don't know. It, it seems, I get space travel. I think it's important, but I, I don't know Mars is really going to, Move the needle. 
So what are your thoughts about uh, Elon Musk and SpaceX and launching rockets into space? I think it's all good because you could say, hey, we could just feed everybody. And I was like, yeah, that's true. By the way, these guys give a ton of money to like philanthropy shit that nobody cares about. By the way, you know, it's weird. Like he could feed the Nigeria and with pocket change of his. And you're like, well, maybe he has, (laughs) you know, like I heard Bill Gates gave back so much money. He saved six million lives. Yeah. But. That's a reverse Holocaust, by the way. That's pretty good. What have you done? You're a barista. So, uh, you know, I, I just think uh, I think space travel is good because you learn about the place you're living in from going to space. It kind of helps you learn about this more. You could say, what's the point of going to this other there? But it, it, it does help, I think. Yeah, doing difficult things in the engineering space seems to be a way to develop, like, as a as almost like an accident, as a side effect of doing a really difficult thing in a team of brilliant people, you, you develop things like the internet. That's and you could argue that the internet maybe is not so good for society. No, I'm just kidding. That's good and bad. Yeah. But but it's like a pull-up. You're trying to get your bicep going, but hey, but before you know it, you got decent forearms. But you weren't working on the forearms. You wanted the buy, but you got the four. And I think that's kind of what space travel is. I like how this like pivoted into uh, to a workout routine advice. Well, I'm trying Norman. to get uh, an analogy going here. All right, they worked pretty well. I'll take it. All right, what are your thoughts about? Since I'm a robotics person, I'd be curious to see like what um, do you think about the space at all? About first of all, autonomous vehicles with uh, Tesla Autopilot and uh, Waymo. Self-driving car. I'm not sure if you're familiar with all the autonomous vehicles and so oh, on. Yeah. So those Got are on. robots on wheels. And then there's also legged robots. So next time you're in Austin, you get to meet some of the legged I robots I've uh, been working on. And I, I find those kind of um, a fascinating way to explore the nature of intelligence in our computers, but also explore our own intelligence and also explore our own um like what makes us connect to other living beings whether it's dogs cats or other humans like Mm. there's some magic there that's beyond just intelligence and i like when i have the robot dog there's some aspect to it that i don't know brings me joy in a way that a dog does in a way that a good friend does yeah that's interesting and i'm not sure if that's some kind of anthropomorphism like where i'm projecting right my hopes for this what this thing is but maybe a little of that but it's kind of built in i mean it's just a source of joy maybe it's connected to the fact that there's just like a loneliness within all of us Mm -hmm. within me and it's just nice to have other things in your life that move that recognize you that kind of thing i mean I, i suppose it's nice to even just have a plant yeah, it is. Plant goes a long way. You see a guy with plants in his apartment, it changes the apartment because they're alive. You got to water them. You got to put okay. sun on them. So yeah, I think there's something there. And I think you can see people's reactions when you show them advanced technology, like these dog robots or these robots that dance and shit. People are like, what the fuck? Like it hits home in some way, whether it's fear or, or you want to fuck them clearly, whatever it is, <laughs> but it does connect with you in some way. So uh I'm with you. And I think, this is why I don't think robots will take over. You always hear that robot, they're making them too advanced, they're gonna wipe us out, blah, blah, blah. If robots get at human emotions, that is scary, because they could they could get mad at us and kill us, and they're stronger, and they don't need sleep, they don't need food, they don't need water. 
They don't get jealous. They don't, you know, but if they have emotions, then I think we can dominate them because who's had emotion? Who knows emotions better than us? We've got thousands of years of evolutionary emotional bullshit. We can go, hey, robot, I heard you, uh, your wife fucked that black and decker, huh? They're going to crumble. We can bully them. Emotionally manipulate robots? Yes. That's when we'll win. Yeah. <laughs> right now, they could kill us. They could just, we'd all die. Then we shoot them back. Bing, 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 bing. That's no good. But if they do get emotions, then we can go, hey, you're, you, you look like hell. What is that, a rusty bolt? Hey, you're dropping some oil there, you know, you loser. I think we can win if we if they do get emotions. This, this goes back to your father being able to undercut you with a single <laughs> word. You're right. <laughs> yeah, so we're the creators of the robots, and then the robots will just, you, you'll say the, the exact thing yeah. where the robot will be like, that son of a bitch. Yeah. And then he goes back to his hole and just sits there miserable. Right, yeah, hardware looks more like software to me. You can't get it up, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But I'm not worried about robots, and I think self, what do you think about the self-driving cars? Is that just wiping out the horse and buggy? Isn't that just progression of technology? Yeah, so I don't know if you've driven in a Tesla, for example. I have, I've, I rode in the uh, the passenger, the I passenger. drive it. Yeah, there's several stages in that. I, I think it's the problem is way harder than people realize and for quite a while, it'll just make driving more pleasant. It'll make it less stressful. It'll take over some of the boring bits for you. It'll make it easier. Like there's something that happens actually when the car is driving for you in the following way. Like it's it's staying in the lane. Mm -hmm. It's keeping distance to the car in front of you. Maybe it's changing lanes. It allows you to relax a little bit. Like yes. you become, you still have to be alert, but you become like a passenger and you get to like, Taking the world, I mean, somehow that's more relaxing without making you necessarily like bored more. Mm -hmm. it, it's energizing you more. So I just think it makes the driving experience more pleasant. But when you actually fully automate cars, when you can just completely tune out and start reading a book or go to sleep, that might change uh, society like in ways we don't even understand because you'll have, I mean, the, the It'll probably change the nature of roads because the cars, because now you can be super productive. Uh -huh. And so it no longer quite matters to you as much how long it takes to get from point A to point B because you're not wasting that time. You just continue working. Yeah. Uh, it's like public transit that comes to you. Exactly. And, and so they there will be maybe less roads and bigger roads and it will just change the nature of how we get from point A to point B. I think you're right. But that then couple that also with the fact that we seem to be more and more comfortable existing in the digital world. Yeah. So like maybe we won't want to go outside more and more. We'll just interact with each other virtually. And I don't mean Zoom meetings. I mean just in other ways that's uh, that's... <laughs> That's more fulfilling than a Zoom meeting. Th sure. There's, but then maybe not because like there's something deeply uncompelling about about Zoom meetings, like oh, yeah. podcasts that are remote. Unless they're super information dense, at least to me as a podcast fan, kind of suck. They suck. There's no connect. It goes back to the dog thing with the Zoom. There's no connection. Yeah, and, and we're not. You know, I, I don't understand why we're not even making eye contact. I know. It's, but it's just something there. It's in the room. There's pheromones, yeah. and that's like uh, out of our understanding, probably. It's just yeah. some kind of weird biological. Yeah. You know, you ever have Cheerios in a bowl? The Cheerios tend to, they tend to go together. You see a cluster of Cheerios. They're never really hanging out on the other side, and that's kind of how people are in in 
real life. I wonder what the physics of that is. So they, they, exactly. they come together and they stick. That's it's something with molecules. Yeah. I don't know. I can't remember what it was. But it was fascinating. And I think that's how people are. And I think you try to do, write a TV show or, or craft a movie with your team, Zoom, not, nothing there. It's like phone sex versus penetration. One day you'll learn that. I, I, I know nothing of either the, I look forward because I think there's a phone sex Netflix documentary that oh, yeah? there's a show or something like that, that uh, is really popular that I want to go watch. So at least I can learn about that. Okay. I could send you some links that could really- Oh, on the internet? You. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, self-driving car, I think it's just inevitable. It's coming and these truckers are going to have to figure something out. Yeah. I mean that's that's an under understood industry actually because there's not uh, there's a lot of trucking jobs and oh people, yeah and people don't want to well people don't want to actually take them anymore because it's such a difficult job so it won't have or a lot of people believe it won't have as big of a negative impact as oh. folks anticipate. Oh good. There'll be other automation. I think they'll have a huge uh, impact. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you already see it at McDonald's. You go to the beep, beep, beep. Why do you want to get yelled at by the uh, heavy set woman of color, you know, for making a bad order when you can just, you know, hit the screen? But those interactions, I think, are human. I mean, that's part of life. So it, it, it is scary taking away everything. How long till we're not fucking? That's coming, too. Yeah. Then there's going to have two two types of people. Are you a, a fuck in real life or are you a digital fuck person? Oh, I'm a digital. Oh, I like real fucking. Sorry, we can't date. That's coming. Well, there's also the uh, the reproduction side of sex, which is like with genetic engineering, you'll, you'll be able to specify a little bit of details. I talked to uh, Jamie Merzel about that, like where you can um, specify like what, you know, uh, it, it'll start with like, I want my child not to have like a high likelihood of diabetes or something like okay. that. And then you get to specify like intelligence. You just get to specify those kinds of parameters until you're like basically trying to create a perfect human and you lose some of the magic of the flaws that make us who we are. Yes. And, you know, I, I'm i pretty sure in the full lineup of humans, like, the, so let, let me uh, give you some information. Lay it which off I'm, me, I'm sure, Break it down. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you researched uh, this thoroughly, but uh, I'm, uh, a male of the human species of the Homo sapien mm -hmm. uh, produces 500 billion uh, sperm cells in a lifetime. So that's all. Uh, some more than others. <laughs> that's all uniquely genetically unique humans that you could produce. So even across those 500 billion, you can select. Mm. And what so, do you mean like abort some, or no? You can choose which of them. You want, I mean, just imagine all the gen genetic possibilities that are there, like all the possible, like you won the race. Yes. Uh, shocking. This, yeah, this won is the winner. All the 500 billion. You have to imagine what the competition was. <laughs> oh, just tards all day long. <laughs> Handicap. Well, so it's not actually the, the fastest sperm or like it, it's, I think a lot of it is timing and luck. Uh, is what it seems like. There's actual papers on this, and I've actually been reading them. I hope so. <laughs> so it's not just like the fastest sperm to the egg. Okay. There's a timing thing. So you were just lucky. All uh, right. Uh, I, I believe that. So it's interesting to think about, like, once you're able to specify some parameters of what your child is like, how that changes the nature of... Um, 
even just like the intimacy of two humans getting together mm -hmm. and making creating together a child yeah i mean it, cha it changes it it's it's almost like uh i don't know it becomes like a factory line of some kind if you don't meet naturally yeah if you don't meet naturally yeah, and, and, sure. and then you don't and you get get to optimize your child then it's yeah then it's some like you have to consider utilitarian type of things like what's good for society and it'll probably be regulation about what kind of children you can have and not like your child cannot have an IQ below this or above yeah. this or something like that. Like your child cannot. We already kind of do that with you know, VIP clubs. Like, hey, you're kind of ugly, or women go, hey, he's not tall enough. We yeah. kind of do it a little, yeah, especially sexually. Yeah, we do. Can't get yeah. on the roller coaster if you're this short, whatever it is. You know, we we do it in some capacity. But here, this would be like fully transparent. And to a degree that yeah. uh, it's hard to imagine. Like the, the way we currently do it, you can at least get around it. Yes. You, you can at least yes. like, trick your way onto the roller coaster, even if you're short. Right. But, or the fat guy can get rich so he can get laid. You know, there's other yeah. ways. <laughs> at the risk of asking the totally wrong person this question, uh, what advice would you give to young people today in high school and college about how to um, have a successful career? or career they're they're proud of, or maybe have a life that they're proud of? Ooh. Well, first of all, you gotta be, you gotta want a life you're proud of. Not everybody has any integrity. People just, a lot of people just want short money. I wanna feel good, look good right now. I wanna do Molly, boom, I'll feel good, you know? But you should space it out. You should, it's almost like saving money so you can use it later. Nobody wants to save money. What do they say? Like 11% of America actually has money saved? $1,000 or some shit? It's wildly low. Everybody wants it now, now. What do you call it? Immediate gratification. I think the key to happiness and satisfaction is working for something. Even if it's uh, it's like a baby. If you could have a baby in five minutes, if a woman, you, got a, you jizzed in her, and she had a baby, oh, five minutes, boom, newborn, healthy, I think you'd be more likely to throw it away if you could make it that quick. It's the fact that you spent nine months backbreaking the labor, the lactating, the ripped placenta and the hymen or whatever the fuck. That's what makes you love it. And I think it's the same with comedy or or making money or whatever. Look at these kids who who like child stars. They all become heroin addicts at like 22 because they've just their sensors are burned out. They're pleasure sensors. You, you didn't have to earn it. I think earning it is a big part of life and uh, always try to do better, try to do more, try to learn new things. Hey, I'm bored. I, life sucks. Life, play the piano then, you chooch. But you you won't do it because it takes effort and, and failure and all that. But that's the good part. Yeah. And I know it's hard to see. So I think that's uh, that's a good good key to life is work hard at something you care about and then love the result. The The hard work, the journey is actually way more important than just getting something. Everybody wants to go on Amazon. I got a package. Then you feel good for 10 seconds and all right, let's go on Amazon again. And then you just, it's just a dumb cycle of you being disgusting and, and gluttonous. So work for it. Everybody wants to take steroids and just boop, I'm buff. Why'd but, you point at me? Well, I'm just I'm saying. Russian or what? Just... <laughs> well, I saw the, the Icarus. Yeah. But no, I'm not saying you're on roids. I'm just, you'd be way bigger. But, uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, 
work for something. And then I would also, young people, eat shit early. Yeah. Eat shit early. I know a guy who kind of got canceled or whatever, and he had an out early, but he tried to get by and he tried to ride it, and it all came crumbling down. But if he had eaten it early, like, yeah, I fucked up, I did that, whatever it was, he would have he would have just kind of been been shit on for a month and then it would have gone away. Mm. But now it's his whole identity. And that sucks. So eat shit early. And I know it's hard to see. What do you mean early? I'm in the present. But look ahead. Look back. This time will pass. I mean, look at high school. High school was the biggest thing in our lives. Oh, my God, this exam. Susie Q hates me. The football player beat me up. I'll never recover. Now you don't even think about high school. It's just a blip in your dumb life, you know? And that's what this is now. This will just be a blip. So remember that and work towards something and uh, work hard and care about the result. If the result isn't good, try it again. And failure is not always bad. Failure, we look at failure as this end-all, be-all. My life's over. I failed. But failure is really just learning. So that's something. So in summary, eat shit early and eat shit often. Yes. All right. Mark Norman. Eat ass. That's escalated quickly. All right. (laughs) I have a list of random questions for you. Um, What activities make you lose track of time? Ooh. um, Have that, go into that zone. You have this happiness, contentment about you that you just truly enjoy. Yeah, I think uh, good conversation. Like I'll sit at the comedy cellar with friends, maybe a little whiskey's flowing. And when you're really just vibing and and inhib inhib in inhibiting, you can do it. What is it? Inhibited. Inhibited. Uninhibited. Uninhibited. When you're just vibing and you're uninhibited and you're saying crazy shit and you're laughing and you're not worried. Am I seeming cool right now? Am I seeming yeah. likable? When you're just you, a hundred percent, and it's all coming out of you, and then they're saying stuff, and you go back and forth, and you feel that excitement. Oh, they're talking, but I want to say my thing, and you know, you get all keyed up. I love that, and and I look at my watch, I'm like, fuck, it's three in the morning. We've been talking for five hours. So I love that. That makes the time fly by. Also, I bought a, speaking of self-driving cars, I bought a 1973 BMW car, and it's classic, and it's stick shift, and it's grisly and and gritty and rusty, and it's a bucket of bolts, but I love driving it. Bucket of bolts. Yeah. You and Tom Waits are poets. (laughs) Have uh, Have you taken like a long trip anywhere, like road trip? In your life or with this BMW? Not with it. It's pretty new, but yeah. I will. It's it's a new 1970. Yeah, yeah. It's new to me. <laughs> and it just it 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 goes in the face of everything we're doing now. Everything is digital, everything is automated, everything is hands-off, everything is delivered. And this is the most hands-on thing in the world. And I am dialed in, man. I got the tachometer, I keep an eye on that. Oh, I made I put the wrong gear in. Shit. Oh, it's about to stall. Put some gas, put some clutch. And it's all just brain power and and staying in focus and all that and it's the opposite of tweeting and texting and uh watching porn or whatever so i almost needed that in my life so i bought this car just to have this little exercise i hope you don't mind that i'm just trying out random questions i wrote on you that are completely they're like completely insane i'm a guinea pig jizz in my face bring it on baby (laughs) <laughs> this would be edited down to five minutes. Oh. If everyone on earth disappeared and it was just you left, well, what would your days look like? What would you do? That's tough because uh, I'm already an introvert and I try to avoid people mostly. Like I, I like a one-on-one, but uh, crowds and all that is tough. 
So, so basically unchanged. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. But then that's the irony is I would be so sad to not talk to anybody. So it's this weird, uh, bittersweet thing. But I don't know what I would do, man. I guess it's kind of like when you're hungover, you just go into the primal survival mode. Of, I got to get food. I need water. I'm horny. Jerk off. You know, you just go. You're not, you're not like playing the piano or, or painting or at the gym. So uh, I think I would just go into urges, man. Primal urges. Find food. Store food. Am I safe? Make weapons. Build a shelter that I can't get attacked in. I would go all survival mode. And then once I maybe realized if I was safe or not, there's no wild roaming dogs, I would start exploring. And, uh, you know, maybe somehow get a vehicle and I would try to expand. And that would be it. And maybe I'd journal. Exploring to what to... To try to find new experiences, new Just, new life. If there's other, maybe there is another guy out there. Oh, so always the, there's the possibility. Yeah, hope. Hope, and then maybe there's a better place I could live. Let's find that, and then moving on. Then maybe there's more food over here. So yeah, the hope would drive me, but it would be bleak and sad and horrible also. So what you're saying is you really want other people to be there so you can hide from them. As yes, yes, yeah. well said. All right, what uh, what's an item on your bucket list that you haven't done yet? Think about something you'd be very upset if you died and you haven't done. Well, I'm terrified of having kids, you know, just because I'm a child myself and I'm I'm selfish and lazy in a way. So kids are like, this is your whole life now. This is it. You got to not let this thing die. You got to love it. You got to raise it. So kids scare the shit out of me, but I also feel like if I don't have them, I'll 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 regret it. Well, you've seen so many people like you who are fundamentally changed by kids. Yeah, like like it's a source, it's a, it's a source of like a deep source of happiness, even though you didn't anticipate it. Yeah. So you like you penciled it into your bucket. Yes, yes. <laughs> You're, it might be on there. Okay. Do you ha- you want kids? Yeah. Well, I want kids. I want to get married. Um, I want to have kids. I kind of. Uh, I, I don't like choice. So in, in, in the following way, like I, I appreciate the value of scarcity and the power of scarcity. Like I don't like the, the modern dating culture. It's not some religious thing or whatever. I just like one girl for a long time uh, or at least swinging for that always, like swinging for the fences. But you and could be swinging right now. I mean, you're- That's a different use of the word swinging. Sure, sure. <laughs> but I'm saying you could be clear. You look great. You're handsome. I, yeah, thank you. Muscular. Thank you. You you get the job done, so I feel like you wouldn't leave without an orgasm on her. Yeah, but I just like to you know about furries. I like to dress up as animals, and <laughs> and I just have trouble finding others who ah, like the they're same. They're up there. I could show you some chat rooms. <laughs> you're you're also my coach for the internet. Okay, uh, what are you most afraid of? I guess an unlived life. Uh, I, I'm a I'm always a big fan growing up of like wild guys you know like these teddy roosevelt's who would go out and hunt lions and uh like bar fighting guys i was obsessed with hunter s thompson types and look this is what i love about uh guys like who's a good example like hemingway hemingway was the manliest guy he had the rifle and the elephant gun and the whiskey and the writing and the women and the fist fights but people forget it. The other side of that coin is I'm sure he was in a lot of hotel rooms weeping. I'm sure he was lonely yeah. as fuck. I'm yeah. sure he had some wicked hangovers. I mean, he killed himself for Christ's sake. Yeah. So obviously he was dealing with something. So the key to me is having this adventurous life, living to the fullest, doing crazy shit, scaring yourself, 
but also not killing yourself. Like also not hating because I used to party a lot hard. I used to bang a lot of gals, and this the flip side is like this girl hates you now, or you got herpes, or you're hungover, or your mom is like, where where are you? You never call me anymore. And you're like, oh my mom, I, I, I let let ties go with my mom. I got to connect. So there's horrible. There's a horrible side to the party animal. The Keith Richards we don't see is not pretty. I mean, he's already weird looking, but he's partying, he's smoking, he's living. But there's another side of that coin. And I think the key to life is living that fucking crazy, awesome, badass life and also having some, you know, meaning and, and a little bit of uh, what's the word? Not just not killing yourself, not going sad, not being depressed. Right. Like there's a medium there, a sweet spot. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So t- taking big leaps and uh, Hemingway grabbing life by the balls, but at the same time not crushing the balls. Does that yeah. metaphor work at all? <laughs> Perfect. Like Evil Knievel. We all know him. What yeah. a badass, fearless. Oh, man, what a cool dude. He's got balls of steel. But he also lived like the back half of his life in a fucking, uh, you know, barca lounger where his legs were made of steel and he couldn't see straight and his dick didn't work. So... <laughs> You know what I mean? You gotta have a balance, but you still want the balance. I'll, I'm willing to take a little bit of shit for a little bit of fun, but you, you don't want to go too hard because well, you got to still risk it. I mean, Hunter S. Thompson, it didn't end well. Yeah, it's quite a ride. Quite a ride. What small act of kindness were you once shown that you will never forget? Wow, that's a great question. You're, I you're, you're, I just wrote these for the, the guinea pig. You're the guinea that's pig. That's great. That's okay. a keeper. Okay, Keep that's that a keeper. Question. Yeah. This is where like workshopping questions here. All right, I'll take it. Now, now you're open biking. Yeah. This is your version. Um, Let's see. There's a couple ladies in high school who were kind <laughs> enough to hand job me. That was nice, which I really appreciate. I don't think women know how much that means to us. You know, when we're like, oh, I'm not a piece of meat or whatever. And you're like, I know, but if you just gave me a hand job, yeah. I, it, would, it would make my world. It's like, Telling a kid he's smart or loved. See, most people mention like a math teacher in middle school that that was inspired them to get into science. You, you, it's you give a shout out to the. Well, the hand- that's part of. It. That's not the nicest, but I'm just saying that goes a long way. All right. Uh, let's see. Kindness. That's a great question. Uh, I want to give you a good answer. I uh, I got lost when I was like six. I was was walking around with my dad, and I zoned out and went away, and. Next thing you know, I don't know where I am. I'm in a neighborhood. This old guy uh, finds me crying on a lawn somewhere, and he goes, uh, come inside, and he tried to call my parents, and no- nothing came of it. Eventually, they found me. After like nine hours, cops were there. The FBI's out there, fucking helicopters. And I guess, you know, that's nice. This old guy took me in for a couple hours and just sat me down and kept me safe. That's something. Yeah. Oh, how about Enos? My transvestite uh, nanny, very kind. He, uh, did you hear about this? No. Okay, we had this transvestite nanny. He was like a drag queen, but it was in the '90s, so it was weird. It was new, and uh, my bike got stolen. And he, you know, my parents were like, "Hey, what are you gonna do? They're poor kids, you know." And he was like, "Fuck it, let's. We're gonna go get that bike." And I was like, "This guy's in a wig and high heels, big black guy." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh ah, what are you going to do? You know, it's gone. And he's like, no, nah, we're going to go get it. So we got in the van and drove around my neighborhood, saw the kids fucking with the bike, you know, five street toughs. And uh, he goes, all right, 
you want to come out or should I just do this? And I was like, you do it. I'm terrified. What are you crazy? And he got out of the van in full, you know, heels and wig. And he went up to these guys and they went off. Oh my God, look at this fucking guy. Homo faggot, all this shit. You know, it's the nineties. And he just stared at them long enough to where they were kind of like, all right, well, I guess we're going to fight you now. And he goes, uh, that's not your bike. And they go, what are you going to do about it? And he puts his hand on the middle of the bike and they didn't do anything. And he just picked it up and said, that's what I thought. Put the bike over his shoulder, slid the van door open, threw the bike in, and we drove off. Somebody stuck up for you. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, he could have got, I mean, they had, they had tools. They could have yeah. fucking tuned him up two seconds. That actually, like, takes courage. Oh, yeah. Real courage. And then that, the, the the reason you do an act like that is that makes a kid like you feel like there's somebody on your side. Yes. That's powerful. Someone on your side is big. It's big. That goes a long way. Especially when they have a, the risk of getting their ass kicked or their job taken away or whatever it is. Now we're going to get uh, philosophical, maybe a little bit emotional. Ugh. <laughs> Would you rather lose all your old memories or never be able to make new ones? It's a tough one, but I'd go easy answer, make new ones. But don't you think all the shitty things that happened to you? Kind oh, of... so my hard drive is wiped clean. It's not, is it memories or is it how every memory affected me too? I mean, this is a very. Or do they go hand in hand? I think the reality about memories is you replay them often. You go back yeah. to them, even when you're not aware of it. You really go, you go back often like that. Um, and they change. You change them too. Yeah, you change them to suit your understanding of the world. Yes. And so, uh, the the dark view you have, both the hope and the cynicism you have about the world, is so deeply grounded in the um, in the memories. That you're basically, I would say, if you erase all memories, I think you're really starting over mm. with maybe the wisdom of how the world works, but not your so much of your personality is gone. You would really, um, I, it'd be interesting how your comedy would change. Maybe you would have a good sense of timing. You have a good sense of like the writing process, maybe, mm -hmm. but like. No, you're making some good points, but let me ask you this. Let's say I go to Lake Cuomo with my girlfriend now. Like, I wipe the uh, memory, or I keep my old memories. Let's say I go to, you know, the Tuscany with the lady. Yeah. I just won't remember that? Yeah, but you get to experience it in the moment. Okay. You'll get to enjoy it. Can I look at a photo of it? Y yes. But I was, but, what the hell is this? Yeah, exactly. Oh, fascinating. <laughs> It's exact. The rules are pretty simple. Yeah. I think everyone knows how the rules go. <laughs> so you, but you, you would, uh, yeah, so what? Uh, well, I was going to say start new ones, but then I realized I wouldn't be who I was without them. Yeah. That's what you're saying. So I guess I'd keep them because I am 38, so I've gotten a good chunk out of life. Yeah. And uh, let's be honest, how many years do you have left? I know, right? It's... I got AIDS. <laughs> is it better to have loved? Okay, this question is ridiculous. Is it better to have loved than lost? Or to have never loved at all. The the sound it sounds cliche, but yeah. there's a question. Definitely better to loss. So you enjoy the ups and downs. The yeah, course. that's what that's life. For sun and rain, baby. I kind of like both the whole thing. The the loss. Every time you lose something, it really 
makes you distinctly realize how much you valued it. Yes. Like, am I, when I'm sad, like when I'm feeling alone and I'm sitting there alone at home and I wish I could hang out with somebody, mm. that's like a realization how awesome people are. Yeah. So it's like the missing, the, yeah. Uh, we don't have a lot of that in life anymore because we can have anything we want immediately. Right. So the missing has gone away, which again drives down the joy of having it. So uh, I uh, think you're right. You need both. Uh, so like you said, you have a condition that a terminal condition, not much many years left. Do you think about your mortality? You think oh, about that? All day, every day. Are you afraid? Not afraid because it's inevitable. So it's more like, what are we, how are we going to handle this? It's like the winter is coming. Let's stock up on some fucking nuts. But the existential nature of it, like the fact that this ride ends, like what the hell are you doing any of this for? Like, is it your- Satisfaction, happiness. Short term. But like the, the, there is a presumption there that it kind of goes on forever. I think if yes. you truly think about the fact that it ends- uh, Your brain almost shuts, shuts yeah, it down. Yeah. There's some kind of like protective like- uh, switch that just goes off i mean I, that's why the stoics you know encourage people to meditate on death because it somehow reorganizes your priorities it helps you like holy shit this ends make the most of the day yes it's just a nice thing but still you can't quite comprehend that the thing ends uh, little things too you know people go like oh we got a layover between our flights it's an hour what are we gonna do for an hour it's like what do you mean, what are you going to do for an hour? You're going to kill an hour? Let's kill, how are we going to kill this hour? This is part of your life. You're just yeah. trying to get rid of it? You're just trying to kill it? That that always blew my mind. Like, hey, yeah. fuck it, let's go hit the, the airport bar. Let's yeah. get a, a yeah. you know, a candy bar or something. Yeah. Anything with bar. But uh, it's just, <laughs> you got to live. I hate this, like, how are we going to burn? Oh, the, the bar didn't open for 15 minutes. What are we going to do? Well, we got 15 minutes. We got, yeah. the world is our oyster. Yeah, make the most of it. Yeah. And like the like you said in modern day, actually the boredom is a gift. Like ah. the when you're waiting for something, that's 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 a gift. You get to be with your thoughts. Yeah, those those are the same thoughts you'll have when you're on your deathbed. There, there won't be a uh, you won't be scrolling TikTok on your deathbed. I hope not. Jesus, you'd be a lot. Well, actually, maybe you would be. What a sad existence. Because it would be a good. Uh, like content creators would be like, ooh, I'm dying. This would be good content. <laughs> yeah. I want to be able to sure film the exact moment it goes beep. Like last words. I wonder what my last yeah. words will be. This would yeah. be a good way to like end the the account with a bang. Yep. I like that. Well, you know, you ever seen that meme where the old guy in bed he goes, I wish I had tweeted more, you know, and then he <laughs> dies. It's so true. Could be the future. Uh, what do you think is the meaning of life? I don't think there is one. Everybody always throws that out there. I'm just, there isn't a meaning. I think uh, we're here. We're lucky to be here. I think there's no afterlife. There's no heaven. That's that's all shit we tell ourselves to feel better. And I think you got to just, it's like saying, what is the meaning of this uh, food I made? Well, it's just you enjoy the food. You try to get the most out of it. You, 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 you built the food. You, you prepared it. So just get what you can out of it. Don't die. And try to make it last as long as possible. Yeah, but you look at Earth. It's like 4 billion years old. And uh, life started early on, like like simple cell bacteria life. 
like a one billion years in, and then it started like having lots of uh, aggressive interaction. Eventually, there's predator and prey, and there's yep. sex, lots of sex, lots of sex. Oh yeah, lots of violence. Oh yeah, uh, and then you know through natural selection, there's just the whole evolutionary process of of animals that have loved and lost and murdered and gotten murdered and all that kind of stuff. And it's somehow led to human civilization. We're super busy trying to create things and creating beautiful art, creating beautiful comedy. Yeah. Uh, just always creating something new. It, it feels like it's tending towards something. Like It's it's a little, not dying. If you die tomorrow, you still have all these hours of pods. So it's kind of, you think you're cheating death in a subconscious way, I think. Right. You know who Ernest Becker is, and I've heard the name. Uh, it's a book called "Denial of Death." This idea that oh, yeah. that uh, if you don't acknowledge, books on my shelf. <laughs> uh, girls love it. Like really? Dostoevsky. Uh, no, I'm just. I'm, oh. <laughs> I'm saying you want to bring Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, Russian literature. It's the back to norm. It's good to bring to because uh, because uh, no American has read any Russian literature, but they all appreciate it if you bring it. That's and it's not true. like they're going to ask you any legitimate questions because they haven't read it. Yep. So you can always pretend like you've read it. So it's, it's a, a little dense. <laughs> can we get a shortened version? Cliff Notes. Yes. Or make a movie with uh, you know, Ben Stiller that I that I can just go, oh, this is based on what is it? Uh Life and Death. No, what's the one? War and Peace. War and Peace. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Ernest Becker's theory, and there's this whole terror management theory that basically says that like our terror of death, our fear of death is one of the central creative forces of the human condition. It's the reason we're trying to yeah, cheat death. We're trying yeah. to uh, delude ourselves that somehow we can become immortal through our art. That's why you've uploaded your special to YouTube because yes. you think you think your special will outlive all of human civilization. You think YouTube will outlive all of right. human civilization. That could go away tomorrow. That can go away tomorrow. All of this can go away. So I'm truly grateful, Mr. Mark Norman, that you would spend your uh, very valuable time with me today, even though it could all go away. This could be the, uh, the last day of our lives. And won't you be quite upset? This is how you spent it. Ah, yeah, in your hotel room, what am I? Yeah. You're like Harvey Weinstein here. You yeah. lured me up and now I feel fucked. <laughs> Just wait what we uh, have ready for you after the podcast is over. <laughs> all right, brother, thanks so much for talking today. Thank you, it was great. Comedy. Thanks for listening to this conversation with Mark Normand. To support this podcast, please check out our sponsors in the description. And now let me leave you with some words from Mark Norman himself on his Twitter, which you should definitely follow because it's hilarious. The worst thing about getting Omicron for Christmas is you know it was regifted. Thank you for listening and hope to see you next time. <laughs>